Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everyone. I hope you all are doing well. It's good to be with you, even if it's through uh, your computer screen or TV. And thank you guys for showing up, those of you who are outside. And once again, thanks to everyone who sets up. I, you know, all you guys do a lot that you guys don't see behind the scenes to put this all together. So grateful. Uh, and appreciate you all so much, and look forward to the time when we can all be together and enjoy each other's company more so. Again, it's nice to have some of you out there, and I look forward to talking with you after I'm done talking in here. I will go out there and talk with you out there. A couple of things to let you know. Um, One, I always seem to forget this, but I want to remind us that... uh, Genesis is here because we are supporting it through our offerings. And so as you give, uh, it supports all the things that we are doing and want to continue to do. I will be putting together a newsletter coming out probably the first part of next month, just sharing some of the financial things happening so far, as well as other uh, events that we are looking to do, and even talk about when we might be opening up again at least what things we know. Um, If you do want to give, you can, again, go online to thegenesisstory.com, and there it'll tell you the various ways that you can give. You can give online there. Click the link to donate. You can do it through Zelle. You can do it through Venmo, or you can mail it here to the Genesis building. And again, thank you for everyone who is uh, so supportive to what we are here as a community, and we want to grow And it's been such a challenge through this pandemic. Uh, But hopefully we are seeing light at the end of this tunnel. I I know more than, I think, 50% of the U.S. is now vaccinated. So that's a good thing that hopefully can lead into more normalcy, whatever that's going to look like here in the future. Um, Also remember that whatever I talk about today, if you have questions about it, you can ask those questions Wednesday during take two, where we have our YouTube live again, and I usually discuss that with somebody and have a dialogue about what I talk about here, but I want that dialogue to extend to you guys. It really is uh, such an important part of our growth, having the ability to interact and share the thoughts that we have that maybe I am not touching on questions that arise from what I say that need some clarification. Um, I hope that what I do here is the first step to more conversation, not the end of conversation. And, And so that's what we want to take place. And 
we've been doing a series really for a while on transformation. It kind of started with grace and truth, and as we moved from grace and truth and looked at the different ways that shows up in our lives, we then saw that in this quadrant of grace and truth, there is the importance of our desire, our wants, that it's not just about our deeds or our doctrine. It's not just about our words and our works, but it's also about our wants and our desires. And we've been trying to detect how God works and speaks to us. And we've named this so that we can see it, Kairos. And this idea of Kairos is a moment of opportunity that is recognized Um, We talked about the different ways that it's recognized, how we detect it. It can be a a brick wall. Something confronts us and we can't deny it. A speed bump, just this little notion, this sense that we get. We feel something when we hear a song or we're in a conversation. Something won't leave our minds. It it can be a mirror where we, we see ourselves and maybe how we really are and it was something we weren't aware of before or even a vision of what we could be, what we want to see take place. These are all awareness and opportunities. You know, so many times we look at scripture and it says, and the Lord spoke to, you know, Jacob. And you think, what does that look like? You know, I don't believe that it was normally a audible voice. I believe it was Kairos. I believe it was moments like when Jacob had the dream and woke up and said, surely God was in this place and I wasn't aware. And I'm going to call this place Bethel because it is the house of God. I, I think there are so many times that the language that's being used sometimes makes us think that, oh, you know, something different is happening to them than what happens to us. And I'm hoping that we can step into this so that we actually encounter God and allow that transformation to show up in our lives in more and more more ways. And last week I talked about the good news of repentance, that repentance isn't you're bad and you better start being good, right? Instead, repentance is really an invitation as it's used by Jesus to see rather than you're bad, you need to be good, to see rather that God is good and God is near, and then to lean into how can I draw my life towards and participate with what God is doing, which we call the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to lean into this a little bit further. We're still digging into what we detect, right? We're still recognizing, man, I sense something, I have this feeling, I have this emotion, I have this thought. It's consuming my thought more than usual. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to, now that I've detected, dig into it. I need to maybe repent of how I'm seeing myself in light to how God is working and align myself to that. And I want to be real so that I can really be changed, right? Recall that repentance is essentially agreeing with God about reality. We are turning from our way of thinking to God's way of thinking, from our vision of reality to God's vision of reality. And there are two aspects of reality that God wants us to agree with him about. First one is where we really are. 
God wants us to agree with him with where we really are. And second, he wants us to know what that's about. In other words, and what God wants us to know about the reality of where we really are. So God's not just making us aware of where we really are. He wants to know why we need to know that and how we can lean into that. When we have that awareness, when we have that Kairos moment, especially ones that are positive right now, God wants to affirm and validate the goodness of where we are. We see examples of that in like Matthew 16, uh, where Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And, and P- Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, Kairos. God showed up, spoke to you, ministered that to you. That's a revelation. When our Kairos moments are negative, when we are aware of something that is not in line with who God is or, or where God is, God typically wants to challenge our view of reality by showing us his view. And we see that in the restoration of Peter in John 21, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, God, you know all things. You know how I feel about you. And Jesus says, I want you to feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus says, I will meet you where you are in your devotion. And from there, I want you to work. And so seeing where we really are allows God to really work in our lives, and that's why it's so important. However, in both cases, we have to reckon with where we really are. And since God most fully meets us in reality, the practice of digging into this is about becoming present to where we really are. Now, that seems so obvious But we are masters of delusion when it comes to our life and how we see ourselves. And if we are not aware of that, we can lie to ourselves, say everything's fine, and deny what's really going on within us. Digging is about getting beneath the surface of our lives and finding out what's really going on under that waterline of perception in our deepest desires and our longings so that we can begin to align those desires with the good news of God's now and coming kingdom. I want to really show up, not just put a facade forward, put a mask up of this is what I want people to see instead of who I really am. And so self-awareness and God-awareness really go hand in hand. If we're going to meet God in our actual life, We need to become more acquainted with the depths of who we are and what's happening in our souls. And to do that, we have to have inquiry. Questions are so important, but how we ask these questions are important. How do we become more aware of what's really going on in our souls? We see how Jesus does it when he asks the questions. And it's amazing to see how infrequently Jesus actually gave answers to questions that were asked of him. It's really astounding because he doesn't answer many questions. Most of the time he was asking questions and he asked questions and told stories to help people become more self-aware so that they could become more God-aware. 
His inquiry to them was to help them see where they were in light of who God really is and try to bridge that gap. He knew that giving people the right answers wouldn't help them know God, especially when their questions were asked to simply verify what they thought they already knew, which is what we do so many times, right? This would be that kind of, I'm going to fight the the things I disagree with, or I'm going to fix the things I think are wrong, temptations that we talked about last time. Jesus knew that until people could name where they really were, they could not receive the kingdom of God. So Jesus was really ruthless about getting to the heart of things. We literally can't read a chapter of the Gospels without witnessing how Jesus engages people with inquiry. Here's a few examples just to help us see. I'm going to put up a slide with some scriptures here. In Luke 18, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Responding to the rich young ruler who asks what he can do to inherit eternal life. He then says, What do you want me to do for you to the demand of James and John that say, Lord, we want you to give us whatever we ask. And then he follows that up with another question. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? That's in Mark 10. And then he goes on in Luke 18. What do you want me to do for you? Same question, different context, right? As Jesus is responding to a blind beggar who calls out for mercy on the side of the road. Now, it's highly unlikely that Jesus didn't know that the guy was blind and that's what he needed. But he did not just simply answer him. What was important is that the blind beggar had to name his desire and submit it to Jesus. Again, we see, what do you want, Jesus says to Andrew and another disciple who were following Jesus in John 1. Do you see a pattern that's showing up here? It's important for us to name what we want with God. It's important for us. It's not that God doesn't know and needs to know. It's that we need to be aware of these things. Will you give me a drink, Jesus asked the Samaritan woman at the well. And then he begins this long conversation where she actually bears her heart before God in John 4. And do you want to get well, Jesus asks an invalid who sat for decades next to the steps at the gate called Beautiful, waiting to be healed. All these questions, even the stories that he would tell were to answer questions. Right, An expert in the law says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives three stories. He, he gives one to you know, talk about the sheep that's lost and leaving the 99 to go find the one, about a coin that is lost, and a woman sweeps the entire house to find the coin. And, of course, the prodigal son who returns home. And, and all these stories are really answering that question with a searching of the heart. When the Pharisees were upset and he gives these stories, the narrative leaves the story open in the prodigal son, really asking, will the eldest son 
come into the home and celebrate? Will the Pharisees, in other words, the teachers of the law, come into the Father's house and celebrate with what God's doing. You see, it was to challenge them where they really were, to see where they really were in these stories. And that's why it's so important to ask these questions of ourselves because otherwise we we can numb ourselves in this reality, thinking we have an understanding that we really don't. I mean, it's said that Jesus asks 307 questions in the gospel. I didn't count them. That's what I read. I think it's true. He's a master at asking questions, right? If we're going to become more like Jesus, then the key is to dig well, to inquire, to ask questions, not just of ourselves, but the people that we're hearing to. And Jesus was asked about 183 questions, and he only answered three of them directly. That's amazing to me. I think there's parenting skills to learn there, right? I, I, I think my children are good at this. You know, when you ask them a question and they ask me a question back, they were like, they, they were more like Jesus than I thought, you know? Um, we typically ask questions for answers. Jesus asked a question to confront the listener with their own thought process, preconceptions, assumptions, and beliefs. He's asking questions to challenge. We ask questions for information. Jesus asks questions to provoke transformation. There's a big difference. And if we just want information, if we just want to know the right answer and we don't want to know what we really need in light of where we really are with where God really is, then we're missing the whole point, right? It makes sense when we remember that Jesus wants to see repentance first and foremost. Remember, the good news of repentance is to understand that there is an invitation by God to see him near and to see him good and inviting us into what he's doing. He wants us to reckon with our own conception of reality and examine it in the light of what God has to say so that he can do this work in us. Something that maybe we're not quite aware of. And we have to learn to ask questions the way Jesus did to help reveal hearts. And this is something that takes practice, at least it does for me, to help dig digger, dig deeper, there you go, into what's really going on, to reveal reality and open space for repentance and transformation. I'm so used to hearing people talk and wanting to respond with an answer instead of trying to reveal what's underneath the question. And so what I want to do is lean into this, how can we inquire with something that we talked about earlier with compassionate curiosity, right? Questions are how we detect and get below the surface and begin the process of repenting and believing that the kingdom is near. That discipleship wheel that we looked at, after we detect the kairos, we have to dig. We have to get to the real issues, 
And this is all done in grace and truth. This is all part of that quadrant. And so I want to give some words here that help us describe ways that we can dig. And they're related to the grace and truth. We have compassion, connection. This is kind of in the grace idea. And these all have to take place with courage. We have concreteness and curiosity. And this is kind of part of that truth aspect. And again, has to be done with courage. They're all connected with that. These aren't steps. This isn't a a step program that you do these things as much as they're elements of the digging process. We, We need to just be aware of these things. In other words, there is some overlap among them. It's not like you do this and then this and then this. And we want to look at how they kind of encompass this whole process of inquiry. When we first notice Kairos, we're aware of something in ourselves. We often switch to judgment, right? Oh, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel this way about my kids. Oh, this is terrible, I know. I shouldn't complain about my job, but I really don't like it. Or I'm such a bad person. Have you guys ever said anything like that? I know I've heard some people say things like that. I'm not going to call anyone by name here. But we have this tendency to go immediately, like awareness of where we're at and judgment, because that's how we think we fix it. And because of this, our first move we then make into digging, whether it's ours or someone else's, to just bring some compassion to this. So instead of just bringing this judgment, we bring a gentle tenderness to the awareness, right? Trusting that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, right? It is God's goodness. It's having a safe space that allows us to freely enter into it. It's okay to just be where we're at. In fact, it's necessary. It's essential if we're going to deal with actual repentance. And and what we mean when we speak of facing and befriending our kairos is to face and befriend a kairos equals to having compassion about it. Something happens, our heart goes out towards ourselves or towards the people who are talking to us about where they're at. We're not just giving them an answer to solve it. That's not what Jesus did. He dug deeper to help reveal where they were so that they could connect to where God is. See, what do we want? What is this life of following Jesus about? If it's not about transformation, if it's not about becoming more like him, if it's not about growing to be better people, then what's it for? If it's about having the right answers, if it's about being right and proving others wrong, then how is that changing us or the world? And again, this is not what we see Jesus doing. This can be hard for some of us who are usually hard on ourselves or even those who are hard on others, kind of in a call-out culture. Most people who are, quote, serious Christians, right? 
I take my Christianity seriously. I have, they have a difficult time bringing compassion to the unwanted or wrong parts of ourselves or others. They just want to name that as wrong. Again, they just want to call it out. We want to bring analysis and condemnation in an effort to fix the problem, giving advice and analysis on how to do better next time. Why do we bring compassion instead? Because that's what God does. In the midst of our badness, God doesn't condemn He compassionately forgives and heals. Woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? Question, question. Neither do I condemn you. Here is someone he could have easily brought condemnation to. Here is someone whose situation was obviously wrong. Jesus inquires her to see what's going on and to see that God doesn't condemn her. See, it's his kindness that leads to leave your life of sin, go and sin no more, to lead to repentance. Learning to do the same for ourselves and others aligns us with who God is and how he works. And it's so important if we're going to discern what God is doing and saying in the midst of these awareness moments, this kairos that we have. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we were in this place and he showed this much love, is he going to show less love now? If we were against God, he still was for us. If we, by compassion, connect, we're going to start to understand and be able to communicate. And so this idea of connection is important because if compassion is the internal state that we must bring to that kairos, then connection is how we extend that compassion towards others. In other words, we are not trying to help them see their wrong. We are trying to connect with them compassionately where they're at before we can do anything else, really. Discerning what God is up to in a kairos is not a mechanical process that we just got to figure out and grind our way through. It's a personal account encounter to attend to. We aren't pushing a button on a machine. We're opening a space for people to encounter God and one another. And connection is vital. It's how we learn. It's how we best grow. It is how we are able to get input that we can't hear in our own head. Remember that personal relational connection is basically what grace is. Right? We, are, we connect by calibrating 
plenty of grace in our communication, both words and even our body language, right? We, we really listen. We, we do it with a view towards understanding and change rather than figuring out how to respond. And this is something I still fight with. I'm hearing someone talk to me and I'm immediately thinking, how am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? And I might actually be missing what they're saying underneath the surface because I'm just trying to fix the answer. We indicate with our bodies by looking that person in the eye, by paying attention, by not going onto our cell phones, those kinds of things, right, where we're actually leaning into it. We connect, calibrating how much grace we can bring into this. We want them to know we are with them, we are for them. And it's so important that we understand that because sometimes we don't see that, you know, that our leaning into this is more than just hearing and answering. It's actually listening and showing interest. When I'm training people to walk their dogs, I'm trying to teach them how to relax and walk their dogs so that their dog can be relaxed. You know, we, we want them to walk with a loose leash and the dog following them. And I tell people, okay, I just want you to walk naturally as if you're just walking and the dog's not even there. And you'd be surprised how many people I see walking. And immediately after we show them some techniques to keep the dog in a heel, they start walking like this. I was like, do you really walk like that? Right? It looks like you're ready to punch somebody, you know, and they're walking with their hand back here, and they're like, okay, I'm, and I'd like, relax, and they relax like this. It's like, no, you got to relax. I just want to go and like give them a little back massage. Hey, just chill out, buddy. You're okay, right? So they can just like, okay, you know, because they don't see what's going on. They don't realize that their body posture is sending a different message than what they're trying to communicate. They're just trying to walk the dog and they look like they're trying to fight somebody. And sometimes we have that way in conversation where I'm talking to someone, they're opening their heart to me and I don't show interest. I'm not looking at them. I'm not hearing their words. I I respond with an answer and said, let me get this. Are are you saying this? It sounds to me like you're you're afraid of this situation. Am I getting that right? You see, uh, inquiry now puts you in the conversation in a way that you're engaging with what they're actually saying instead of just trying to bring an answer. We can learn a lot from Jesus, of course, because he was so good at this, right? Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter after he denied him. He didn't just know about it. He engaged with them physically. Jesus would remove people from crowds so that he could personally connect with and touch them while healing. In Matthew chapter 8, it says, When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You do not touch a leper in the first century. That is a death sentence. That is COVID times a thousand, right? That is something that is really bad. Jesus not only saw him, he touched him. In Mark chapter seven, and taking him aside, 
this is speaking of Jesus, from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, aside from the fact that Jesus healed someone by essentially giving him a wet willy, it looks like, right? Notice that he took him aside privately and encountered him. This wasn't a generalization. This wasn't, if you're out there in the crowd and the Lord is speaking to you, this is going to that person, encountering touching them. We've made this so disconnected from one another. It's just about you and God. No, it's about connection with you and with the God who loves you. And I'm here to help that take place. He used first names to communicate intimacy. Martha, he would say, directly addressing the woman in public with a demonic or a demonstration of intimacy. He would talk to them with their names. One of the things that impresses me about some pastors is they remember names so well. I mean, my son works at a church where there's 10,000 people, and I think that pastor knows over 1,000 people by name. That's impressive to me because I forget my kids' names sometimes. I mean, it's just to be that connected with people. His disciples learned to do all this from Jesus imitating him. And that's important that we recognize that, that we see that. And what connection communicates is, I see you. I hear you. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand. I get it. It also says I'm with you. What you're feeling, I'm there. I, I want to be with you in that, and I'm for you in this. You see, having someone in your corner means so much. Knowing that someone is there not to just prove you wrong and prove themselves right, but someone is there to journey with you as you go through whatever it is you're going through, it is like what the Spirit of God does with us. And this is so important in the way that we dig because it creates a safe environment for people to explore where they're really at without having to put up the facade. Something profound happens when we make the effort to bring compassion and connection to those around us, especially those sharing kairoses that they've detected. Because you know, those can be very vulnerable. You can have this mirror of where you're at and it might not be very pleasant and you see yourself in this light and you think, oh my gosh, this is terrible. How do you share that with somebody who you don't trust your heart to? This is how we calibrate grace in this process of digging. See, there's a difference between 
empathizing and sympathizing. We want to empathize with people so that we can connect to them. I want to show a short video by Brene Brown on this, on empathy. Guys, go ahead and show the video. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So good to understand what we really need is to connect. And it's important to get as specific as we can so that when we're dealing with this awareness, this kairos, rather than dwell on abstract generalizations, oftentimes digging will stall because there's no details about what's going on. Generalization it keeps it at a distance, and it doesn't allow us to really get to the roots of what's going on. We need to get to the actual thoughts, feelings, actions of that kairos for this inquiry to be fruitful, right? So our, my kairos is that I lose patience, you know, with my wife and kids frequently. That's a generalization, Instead, we should say, tell me about what happened. What do you remember? 
get to the details of what happened so we can see what this kairos is pointing to. Or I feel distant from God. How do you know you're distant from God? Right? What evidence do you have that that's true? See, asking a question into this reveals what's really going on so that we can see what's happening. Oftentimes we struggle with making God's truth real in our lives because we can just live in our heads and not do anything. It all just stays on mental gymnastics. And though it's true in general about all of us, how is it true for you? What particular relationship or context of your life does maybe this show up, this idea of just not connecting deeply and relationally? You see, the more particular and specific, the more personal and detailed we can get about this experience with God, this kairos, the better. And it involves telling our story, getting into the nitty-gritty details of it, the words that were actually spoken, the actions that were actually taken, the specific thoughts and feelings of the moment. In fact, if we ever feel like we can't really get our hands around what God is saying to us, there's a good chance that we haven't done the hard work of getting concrete, of naming it precisely, looking at the details. Oftentimes it's difficult for people because telling our story and being concrete with the actual facts is so vulnerable. It feels safer to share general observation about what people tend to do when they're angry than to share what I actually did last Tuesday when my kid refused to eat his dinner and I cussed and threw his food in the trash. Right? I don't want to share that, especially at church. I'm always so amazed that the lives people live different than they do at church. I mean, there's some people I know really well. And it's like, would you be able to do that where you're going to church? Or would you be scorned and would you be ashamed? How terrible, right? When people say, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites in transition, right? We're all developing and growing. And the problem is we can't be honest and open, and so it hinders this kind of dynamic of growth. This is why we have to bring compassion and connection. It feels scary for most of us to share vulnerability, but it's so important and it's so necessary to have people that we can do that with, to be people who it's safe to do that with, to have someone confide in you and it goes nowhere else but between you and them. And you lift that person up to the Lord and help connect them to see God in their midst in that situation. That's repentance, that's good news. The general truth to remember is vulnerability doesn't happen unless everyone feels emotionally safe. And emotional safety is nurtured through connection and compassion. Remember, God is so real. 
that he can only meet us where we really are. Everything else is hypocrisy. Getting specific and concrete is how we get to where we really are. And we almost always meet God there. As scary as it is. Next, we're going to talk about curiosity. And I'm going a little bit long. I was going to do this in two sessions, but I'm not going to be here next week, so I had to hammer it out in one. So I'm going to try and get through this without laboring you guys too much. Compassion and connection hold an open sacred space for emotional and spiritual safety so that we might discover things about ourselves. Remember, this is all about transformation. Getting concrete is the part that of that discovery process. It's how we discover. It's how we get to the nitty-gritty. And we dive further into it by practicing curiosity, that inquisition of what's going on. Actually, this is somewhat frightening for most of us because becoming curious about our kairos means diving into the depths of vulnerability and authenticity. We start to discover the whys behind the habits We uncover our core beliefs about ourselves, about God, and about others. It's amazing how many people believe in God but doubt God all the time but never admit it because they're afraid of what people will think or even afraid to admit it themselves. See, that's not the path that most of us are used to walking, this honesty, this digging into the the nitty-gritty, this curious wondering why is this taking place in my life? We have many ways to avoid vulnerability. But when we share our story as others are connected with us in grace and as they offer compassion to us rather than condemnation, a space opens up for us to discover what God may be up to. So we should get curious If getting concrete takes a lot of what questions, right? It's asking what happened, what did you do, what did you say? Curiosity is a lot of why questions. And these change, of course, depending on the kairos that's happening. But usually it focuses on getting us to think about our thinking, to, to get deeper into what the process is. We, we, we take a step back and reflect on our assumptions, on our narratives. We, we start to take it in and think about it not being in the middle of it, but kind of being almost as a spectator. Someone struggles with their stress by eating, by watching pornography, by compulsive shopping. Why do you think you respond like that? Why is it so hard to talk about it? Why do you feel so ashamed about this? What is the story you tell yourself in that situation? Do you check out? Why does this keep happening to you? Our goal is to get at the underlining belief that God wants to speak to. What's really going on in you? 
because usually these things are symptoms of what's really happening underneath, and the why is getting to the symptom. That curiosity is helping us dig and see that. And, and you see how these all work together? You see, if I'm not compassionate, I'm not going to go there. If I'm not connected, I have no safety in being in that place because I don't have empathy. If I don't get to the concrete, if I don't get to the real issues, I can just blow it off as it's not a big deal. And if I'm not curious, I won't get to the heart. It'll stay on a surface level. What beauty, truth, or goodness does this kairos reveal that the Lord wants to affirm? Wait, we're talking about these problems. I'm talking about, you know, gluttony. I'm talking about, you know, being foolish with my money. I'm talking about pornography. What do you mean, what beauty, truth, goodness does this kairos reveal? You see, we're getting back to this idea of repentance. There's some good news here for you to see how close God is. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you see that God is right here with you now and wanting to do something where you really are? Because if it's not going to happen where you really are, it isn't going to happen at all. Do we want transformation? Then we have to dig. We have to go deeper. Again, as we look to Jesus to show us how this is done, he's a master of curiosity. I mean, it's wonderful. He's the master question asker. He would often challenge a dispute the assumptions and stories that people brought to him. This curiosity is fiercely compassionate while at the same time challenging and disputing the stories that people have about God themselves, reality, and others. We get beneath the calculating, calculating, the analyzing, the fixing, the controlling mind that always wants to be in charge, be right, have things my way. Say the right things. And ultimately, this is an exercise of surrender. And boy, is that hard. It's more contemplation than calculation. It's more awareness than analysis. It's more surrender than study. More receiving from God than achieving for God. It's more experience than examination. It's more encounter than explanation. It's more submission than control, more imagination than interrogation, more pondering than prescription. It's more allowing what emerges than engineering a solution. And finally, the entire process, it takes courage. And it has to show up in all these areas. We have to really tell the story of who we are with our whole hearts in all these areas. Most of us are deathly afraid of this kind of interaction because of how much it reveals. And even now, you might be aware of things that you like, nope, not gonna talk about that. Nope, not gonna go there. Nope, I don't do that. That's not the way I brought, and we go back into that excusing. We weren't raised like that. I don't do things that way. Again, the question, do we want transformation? Most of us prefer to play it safe in our relationships, but this process demands we go beyond the surface of niceness 
into deeper places because that's where transformation happens. Looking at ourselves with God can be terrifying. Maybe that's why the most repeated phrase from God to humanity is do not be afraid. What would happen if we were not afraid to share the truth about who we really are? Instead of ignore it, justify it, rationalize it, avoid or medicate the truth about ourselves, we come to these evasive moves honestly, but they have never done good work for us. It it takes courage to stand before God just as we are and name what really is. And this really is the essence of what confession is, right? And and why they say it's good for the soul. It's good for the soul in a safe space. The Greek word for confess means to say the same as. We are wanting to agree with God, say the same about the reality of ourselves as we confess the truth of who we really are. And it allows us to change. It's how we dig once we've identified the awareness with the goal of discerning what God wants to do in the midst of this. You know, Karl Marx famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And while we might quibble with that idea when it comes to true following Christ's spirituality, he actually had a prophetic edge on that because many continue to use their spirituality as an escape from reality to numb the pain and remain disconnected from their hurt. Religion can become a spiritual escape of real life. And there's a difference between my spiritual life and my real life. But following Christ is a rigorous commitment to reality. Do we think of it like that? It's a deeper rootedness in the real world that we live in. It's not a, oh, someday I'm gonna go be with God and be away from this, and so this is all gonna burn and let it go. That's not what we see in Christ. That's not the life lived that we see in Christ. Many continue to use this to escape that idea. Jesus himself would pray for us in John 17. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, right? Trusting that the real world is where we interact with God. The beautiful picture of God meeting us where we really are occurs in John 4 when Jesus encounters the woman at the well and he reveals who the woman is to herself. He deals with what really is. And when he reveals himself to her, we see here a, a, a distinct way that when the woman reckons with who she really is, that she's able to see God as he really is. I don't think we can fully understand who God is 
until we understand who we really are and know that God sees that. And that's our first step in repentance, dealing with the where we really are. We dig to discover that trusting God will reveal himself in the midst of where we are. And where God is, is the safest and best place we can be. Why wouldn't we want to go there? Let's pray. Father, there is such an importance to being real with you. It is something that I am so good at not doing. And Lord, even as I have been going through this and becoming aware and having to repent and see the reality of where I am to the reality of where you are. It has been a labor. It has been uh, a struggle. It has been fearful. It's been hard. But Lord, what I want and what I believe we want is to be changed, to grow, to become better people to become more like Jesus. Lord, I, I hate how the word Christian is used and it means such damaging things. I want to be like Christ. Where a woman caught in adultery was safe. I want to be like Christ, where a, a stranger, a foreigner who was discarded is able to bear her soul and find refuge. I want to be like Christ, who a person who is diseased and would be outcast from society, he leans into and touches and brings healing. I want to be like Christ. And, And to be like you, Jesus, I need to see who I really am and allow that to be the place you work. And I pray that would happen with all of us. I pray that Genesis would be known as a place where people are loved as they really are, who they really are, with all the problems that go with who we really are, with all the, the disagreements we have with one another, with society, with politics, with religion, with so many things. This is a safe place to be who we really are because we know who you really are and you love us right there. God, period, end that story in my life so that I don't have to justify, change who I am or appear to be to be accepted. We are accepted for who we really are by the God who really is. And that is good news that needs to be shared. May we share it with our lives. May we show compassionate curiosity to ourselves and to others, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you guys for being patient. Sorry it went so long this morning. I just could not cut it short. I hope it is helpful to you. And may we become the people who with compassionate curiosity lean into the lives of one another and allow God to lean into us so that we can be transformed into his image. God bless you guys. We love you. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.